Greetings, this is Pastor Doug, and you have joined us for the FPC Lenten podcast, where we are talking through the chapters and ideas and metaphors of the cultivated life. I am here with two of my favorite people, Pastor Kerry and our church admin, Jocelyn. Well, we're glad that you're joining us. We are reading this book, The Cultivated Life by Susan Sanders Phillips. And this is a book that we are, we're talking about it on Sundays. We're talking about it in our book groups. We're talking about in our Bible studies. And it's a book about living the cultivated life. So every week we're going to gather here and just have a discussion about what we noticed in these chapters and these ideas, and hopefully give you some fodder for what you're thinking about and how you're chewing on these ideas. Our staff has been reading this book. We have discovered this is not a book to try to get through quickly. This is a book that should be savored. This is not a book to be gulped. It's a book to be sipped and tasted and reflected on. So I want to encourage you, if there is something that you do on a weekly basis that takes some time, maybe it's a television show that you watch or something that you you do in your life, I'm going to encourage you to abstain from that for this Lenten season. And then take an hour, take two hours every week and just sip on this book. Chew on it. Don't rush through it. Just listen to it and allow this book to help you think about what it means. What kind of life are you cultivating? Every time we gather, we're just going to go through quick summary. This is even quicker than normal because we are starting in chapters two and three, but it turns out there are three chapters even before we get there. So first off, this is a book that the, the, the beginning, the dedication is written by Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson is truly one of my heroes. And, you know, just to have a book that is recommended by Eugene Peterson, but here's what Eugene Peterson says. Susan Phillips has been for many years my writer of choice in matters of spiritual direction. Dang, that's a big deal. So Eugene Peterson gives us a quick metaphor, an idea. He talks about the importance that Susan brings to this idea of spiritual formation. So it's worth reading that. Susan then has an introduction, and what she's doing is introducing the ideas of this whole book. And the ideas of this book center around a metaphor, a metaphor of living the circus, or living a cultivated life. Susan Phillips talks about how so much of our life is about being a part of the circus. And she got this from the people that she listens to. She is a spiritual director, has been doing that for 30 years. As she's directing people, she's discovering that people experience life as a circus. Um, things are being rolled out, ramped up. We're working without a net. That even our language talks about circus. Um, Carrie or Jocelyn, what did you think about our lives being kind of compared to a circus? What struck you about that? I think that idea of um, three rings, often mm -hmm. a circus has many rings and many things going on at once. Right. You can watch over here, you can watch what's in front of you or another place. I think the diversion of attention that uh, the circus image brings is helpful. That's certainly something we can all recognize in our own lives. So in the midst of that, she uses as the opposite side, she talks about practices of cultivation. So different than living the circus. And she would say, we all are in the midst of this three ring life. But in the midst of that, she says she, she is encouraging us to practice these ideas of cultivation habits, living the cultivated life. 
she talks about metaphors and that's the metaphor that we're trying to use as we go to this whole book in the middle of the circus because we are we're all still in the circus life but in the middle of the circus life what does it mean to be practicing and choosing to participate in cultivation here's something that susan says the challenge is to choose and participate in our spiritual cultivation within a captivating circus-like culture Hmm. that's the challenge of what we're being asked to do Hmm. and and i really appreciate that she makes that distinction and instead of saying you must remove yourself from the circus you must become a monk or live in the boonies (laughs) and and remove yourself from any distraction she just says no it's going to be there there is the circus the circus is sometimes really fun. It can be overwhelming, but let's not live there. Or even while you are living there, take some time to see things differently as well. It, it makes me respect her because then I go, well, she's, she's a realist. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Here's one of the questions she offers for further reflection. Spend time considering what moves you from the garden to the circus and what moves you from the circus to the garden. I thought that was nice. I mean, I'm captivated by the circus. I mean, Carrie, you were telling just the story of how much the circus meant when you were younger, that you got to go to the circus. Yes, it was such a special treat. I got to even be pulled out of school and go to the circus. And I also remember we were on a service trip and the circus came to this little town in Mexico and Mm -hmm. set up the tent in the anticipation of getting to walk down the hill and go to the circus together. But it is true. You don't want to live there. That's a a busy, loud, multi-visual experience. But even even more than when we were growing up, we do. There are so many things now that are asking for our attention. So many things. I think every day is just an overwhelming sense of the things we could do or could be doing. And we now know what all of our friends are doing. We know what our family members are doing. There's it's just an even more intense experience of the circus is all around us. And we we can see not just three rings, but now we can see 50 rings and um, know exactly what's going on. So what Susan talks about is the way of cultivation. This is chapter one. She talks about what does it mean for cultivation? And, and I love this image she uses. And then she says, cultivation is when you spend time in the splash zone of grace. I love that image. What is it? What are the things that we do that put us into the splash zone of grace? Mm. Um, she then uses this idea. She talks about mixed metaphors, but she says we are supposed to be like walking trees, which is not none of us, you know, unless you are a lover of all things Tolkien. The idea of walking trees doesn't jump up to jump up to your ideas, but this idea that we're supposed to be rooted like trees but we're walking around and journeying and a part of it. So what does it mean to be both rooted as well as to be um, walking? It's a mixed metaphor that we get to to sit in. I was just going to respond to that because, you know, I've heard you say a couple of times that you really liked um, the splash zone of grace. And I just, I have a hard time responding to that because I think about cultivation and it's, it's work and mm-hmm. sitting in the splash zone, you're not doing anything. You're just sitting there. You're waiting for the water to come to you. You just have to sit in the right spot, right? At SeaWorld to get the orcas to 
like splash on you, right? You, you just It just happens to be those. You know, like you said, there's this the walking tree thing where there's resting and just waiting for the water to come to you. But then the other idea of like, you know, walking and doing stuff, because that's a lot of, that's part of cultivation too. There are some seeds that require a freeze huh. to grow. So you, and, and some fruit trees that like, if they don't get cold enough, they don't produce fruit and, and the flowers won't grow and bloom in the spring if they don't go through a freeze. And so sometimes when you are um, harvesting seeds and stuff, you actually have to put them in the freezer to then bring them out and plant them in order for them to grow. Mm-hmm. And, and there are some seeds that don't grow until they've been extremely hot in the forest fire, right? So yeah. there are these just really interesting metaphors all around rest as a part of cultivation that's fascinating to me. I love this book only because it reminds me of like plants all the time. The plants. And well, yeah. Well, I appreciate your image of seeds that need freezing or seeds that um, germinate after heat because yeah. maybe we also need distress. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And that, and grace well, comes and being through. splashed in a splash zone isn't fun necessarily, right? You could get water in your nose. <laughs> I mean, there's some distress in those you splash zones. wet pants. There. Well, yeah. I, I love your image, Jocelyn, because you're actually saying something that St. Teresa said in her Interior Castles book. And she talks about the spiritual life and she she talked about watering a garden. And she imagined a garden that had a well in it. And she said you would be lowering a bucket and then holding and then picking that bucket and the, and the work that it would take to kind of pull that bucket up with your hands. That that's the first that's the first level of our spiritual formation. She would say the second level is when you set up some sort of a pulley system. So then you can kind of crank the bucket up, which is a little easier, but you're you're still working hard to get that bucket up. She says, then there's the third level of our spiritual formation where the where the rain comes down and waters the garden. And so it's that I think there, I think there is that level. There is a way that cultivation requires work. And then there's also the rain that falls down from the sky as a blessing. And so I think we can't change, we aren't changed by our own will and our work. And we aren't changed by doing nothing. So mm-hmm. cultivation is that sense of how do we work to put ourselves in a place where we can receive more grace. Hmm. It's holding two opposite ideas at the same time. How do we work so we can put ourselves in a place to receive more grace? I think that's a good question to live. Susan then takes us into the into chapter two, which is the chapter that we're sort of talking about now. She talks about what the cultivated life is. And then she the first idea she talks about is finding and receiving refreshment. And she is very clear that we're all different. We're all different. And she she says kind of the discipline of Christian spirituality is not wholly objective. Rather, it is said to be self-implicating. This means that who we are informs our own understanding of God, faith, and discipleship. This idea that we really are all very different. And that means we're not all going to be cultivated in the same way. We're going to have a lot of different ways that we're cultivated. What were you thinking on that, Jocelyn? 
Well, um, I was kind of stuck on the word refreshment. As soon as you said that, I was like, gosh, darn it. For people who find value in working hard and getting stuff done, you know, the idea of rest and refreshment, is like kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Like, what do you mean I can just have value by resting? Or what do you mean I can add add value to myself and to my life by not doing anything? It's that that's challenging for me. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing I was thinking of, I don't know if this this kind of uh, tags on to what you said at the end, which is everybody finds refreshment differently, is this kind of plant garden metaphor is, you know, in theory, the best plants for a garden thrive in your environment, right? So back to right. your um, St. Teresa metaphor, if, if, if receiving grace truly is the rainwater coming down to water the garden, uh, then, then you want to be planting the plants that thrive in your environment. Right. Exactly. So not, not trying to be not trying to plant plants that don't belong there, but accepting what grows naturally there and what thrives in the environment that you have. Well, Amen. And I think that self-implicating part is part of what you're referring to, because I, I think she's asking you to pay attention to where you experience refreshment. So if you do experience refreshment in your project that you're doing and in the process of the project and then the completion of the project, I, I think her invitation is, well, sink into that. Notice that. Notice yeah. your experience of the refreshment. How does it invite you into paying attention to God's refreshment? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does that change the way you hear the word refreshment if it can be received in multiple ways? Oh, yeah, for sure. And there's joy in some work, right? And there's rest in some work. So being able to know what's what's energy giving and what's draining is mm. part of it. Right. And I wonder if, you know, you, you had put the two words together, rest and refreshment. Mm. I think some of us experience rest and refreshment together, but I think there's often some of us experience a long bike ride mm. as mm. incredibly refreshing. And I think you experience... Yeah a productive day of work as refreshing for refreshing. And you, like me, the two of us experience a day when we work hard and get nothing done as an absolutely unrefreshing day and just a horrible day. I mean, this idea of doing something and then having it all undone was incredibly challenging, but a day of productive work when you're doing something you're good at, that is incredibly refreshing. The idea of refreshment is figuring out what fills up your soul. What is it that brings life to you? I love that she gave a simple uh, example in this chapter of someone who realized that when when he took a shower, it, it was a time that he could set aside of really experiencing refreshment. Or in the podcast mm. when we talked to her, she she said that maybe brushing your teeth, simple practices that are already a part of your day can be a, a reminder can trigger your brain to enter a a state of maybe more attentiveness and more relaxation, rest. Right. And so I think what she's encouraging us to do is to figure out what are the things that we do and how can they be cultivation practices? Just what are the normal? Like I would say, I, I had a friend and she read a book that to make the mornings less stressful, you should have all of your coffee 
ready to go. You should have all your beans ground, all the water poured. So you just wake up in the morning and press the button. And I just thought, I get that. But part of my morning, part of the refreshment is grinding the beans, is pouring the water. There's a liturgy to my morning. And, and doing coffee in another way is not doesn't fit that liturgy. There's a cultivation in that coffee making that I am breathing in and the scents and the smells. It's a, it's a wonderfully refreshing time. And it can, so anything that we do can become a cultivation practice. I think for me that the intent of the mindset is the most important part. I don't, I don't remember how long you have to do something for it to be a habit. Does anybody know? Isn't it 14 There's days. There's rules. People say like 18 times, but you know what? Sometimes it's just one day you can make, you know, if, if you take your kids out for frozen yogurt, if they did a good grade, <laughs> the next time they get a good grade, I will tell you that they're going to be like, hey, we have a habit. And that habit is, yeah. is formed. So it's funny the way habits can form. I love the idea of fitting it into your, your, your current life, right? Um, my sister told me for, um, for Lent one year, she gave up the dishwasher because she, every time she would then wash her dishes by hand, that's when she reflected in prayer. And um, I thought that was a much better way of spending Lent than just, you know, not eating chocolate because, you know, you yeah. replace chocolate with potato chips or something, but, um, but intentionally using your drive to work or chopping the onion for dinner or whatever uh, as a, as a time of reflection, I'm trying to figure out what, what my time would be. I don't know. Have you guys figured out what, what thing you might, I, I like cooking as setting aside meal preparation and, mm-hmm. and the silence around that and paying attention to the the chopping or um, the yeah. grinding or the stir. I, I think that that's a good space for me. Yeah. I think the joy is that everything we do done with yes. intentionality and receptivity can become yeah. a cultivation practice. And I think this is what I appreciate. Susan is not saying... You have to add two hours of to your day of right. things that you don't ever do. She is saying, how can you mm. look at, you know, showering, brushing your teeth, riding your bicycle, entering into work? How can you look at taking those times and intentionally making them times of cultivation? Chapter three is the one that the practice that she's offering for this week, which is listening. She's talking about listening as a way of receiving cultivation. The truth is we are listening all day or we're supposed to be listening all day. Sometimes we listen well. Sometimes we don't listen well. I actually took Susan's two week long class. It was an intensive two weeks long, six hours a day on listening on how do we become better listeners It was an incredibly powerful two weeks of just focusing on what does it look like to be people who listen. And so all day we're going through, we're spending time listening. Simone Weil wrote that attention taken to its highest degree is the same thing as prayer. It presupposes faith and love. Listening is prayer. Listening is love. Most of us know the experience of someone seriously sitting down and listening to us. And most of us know the experience of someone pretending to listen to us while they're doing something else. 
while they're very involved writing a note or sending texts and not focusing on what we say. And that doesn't always feel very good. Doesn't feel good to me. But this is a sense of what does it mean just, you know, to make listening a cultivation practice? What's what struck you guys in this in this chapter? What what do you notice? What did you wonder when you heard about listening being a cultivation practice? Well, picking up on what you were saying about giving full attention to someone you're listening to, I I love this uh, sentence. List from Susan's this chapter, listening and its visual form, beholding, maintain the life-giving connections we need in order to flourish. And I love the combination of both of those together and mm-hmm. how to quiet ourselves and then lift our eyes from whatever's distracting us to focus on what the person we're trying to listen to, or even if we're alone to lift our eyes and behold what we're seeing. I know that for me, I can go on a walk and not see anything that I've walked Mm. by. And so that incorporating Mm. beholding as well as listening to what I'm hearing uh, brings my attention to a more focused point. Yes, it's a beautiful, and, and she goes on, the, the, the paragraph that struck me is at the end of that section that you just started, Carrie. And she says, our spiritual lives run the risk of becoming devoid of true beholding and listening. If we do not listen to God, the Holy One increasingly becomes a figment of our projections and theology, a safer figure in our lives, perhaps, but a constructed one. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that we are, we are called to behold God and that God beholds us, that God is beholding us every day. And our lives are lived in the presence of a God who beholds us and invites us to behold God. Without listening and beholding, then we are tempted to idolatry, it sounds. We are. We shape it for ourselves. Yeah. You know, you think about listening, you're like, oh, I'm listening for the other person. But I think similar to prayer, right? When you're you're praying, you know, you want to get a certain thing out of it, maybe, but really the result is often you changing, right? And I feel like the same thing is that for listening, which is if you're doing it right, Mm. you're making yourself better by opening yourself up to others' perspectives. And, you know, you're changing yourself. You're not arguing and and, um, (laughs) discussion. And, you know, oftentimes I'm listening with with an intent to persuade, but at its core, you're you're changing yourself so that you can... um, understand somebody else more fully, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Real listening requires openness. It requires mm-hmm. energy. It requires time. Real listening takes time. It takes it takes a lot of effort. For me too, I think it requires uh, letting go, like setting aside my thoughts of response mm-hmm. and yeah. putting them kind of in a basket and then maintaining kind of an, an interior silence to really hear what the other person is saying. Yeah, absolutely. Here's something Susan says in spiritual listening, the orientation toward the other involves care. Mm. When we listen to another person in the stance of care, relating is the foremost concern. We invite the other into a listening shelter of kindness. I love that. You can just sit with a paragraph like that for a long time. 
And obviously she would say, you know, she talks about listening as being responsively attuned, Mm -hmm. intentionally attentive. Um, These are images of what is, you know, and I love that this is her first practice. The, the text that the text that we are reading this week is from Mark. And in it, Jesus says, if you don't understand this text about listening, how can you understand anything else in the Bible? This is what you need to understand. You need to understand how to listen to God, how to listen to each other, how to listen to the Spirit. When we can listen to the Spirit, everything else is possible. But listening is incredibly important. Um, one of the questions she talks about is just remembering a time you were listened to, entering into that time with your memory and your imagination, and listening to just what blessing did you receive when you were in really truly listened to. Um, I wonder, is there a time that came up to you guys when you guys were thinking of a time that you were really listened to? I think the ones that that come to me are often times when older people listened to me when I was younger. Because it it just was like these busy older people with all sorts of authority. And when they would stop and pay attention to what I was saying, and and then when they would even change what they were doing because of something I said, I just remember that I felt so heard. It felt so important that these very busy people would take time to listen to me. Mm -hmm. I feel listened to and heard on our staff and in our community and in the places where we gather in the Bible studies and different places, I, I do think there is a desire within the people of FPC to listen to one another and, and wonder instead of try to yeah. find answers for each other. I agree. I agree. Pastors are often asked to leave churches often because of mistakes that they've made or or acts that they shouldn't have. But the reason I hear most often for pastors that are asked to leave churches is the staff or the church says they they weren't listening to us. They didn't and they didn't feel listened to. Whether or not they were listened to, um, listening is incredibly important. Carrie, as you think about families, do you have any ideas or thoughts about how families might practice this really intriguing um, practice? Well, I, I think finding the time, making a point to set aside time in the rhythm you're already um, going. So when I had young kids, I was often in the car with them, driving them for here or there. And I think maybe taking one trip of to piano lessons or soccer practice or something and not playing anything in the car, but what would it mean to make that a space to really listen or setting aside some time right before bed when it's just about being attentive and listening to each other. I also like the idea of listening to a piece of music together and Mm -hmm. listening for what each person hears. So, or even listening for the silences in the music what's that called rests or something <laughs> in music yeah. it, it, it is called yeah. it is called a rest in music in our house we did our best listening i think at mealtime yes and so mm-hmm. I, I i do think one of the things we probably really need to do to listen is to remove devices mm-hmm. from those times i i know that what hampers my listening the most is looking at my phone 
So I think there, I think if you're going to have a time, whether it's in the car or whether it's at the table or whether it's at night, that it would be device free. So you're able to just intentionally be attentive. And And if you need to start small, right? Mm -hmm. 15 minutes. 10 minutes? I don't know how much time you need maybe, around. Maybe even five. Starting maybe small. five. You can only do five five minutes of a silent car ride, then do that. Carrie, thank you. Those are wonderful. Our last bit is just knowing that this, this encouragement to listen comes from Jesus. And we're going to listen to the parable Jesus gives to his disciples. It's the parable we'll be looking at um, this whole week. Let's listen. This is from Mark chapter 4, verses 3 through 9. Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came up and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And when the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundred times as much. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Mark 4, 3-9. Thank you for joining us for this chance to talk about listening and what cultivates refreshment. Tune in next week when we are going to be talking about stopping and Sabbath keeping, something that none of us do really well. (laughs) You should see me stop on a bike. (laughs) We wish you a deep week of cultivation, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye-bye.